The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, strange politics, descriptions of lady problems, and the usual amount of disturbing sexual imagery. Sunday, the 19th of September, 2021. In this episode, we simply have to hear about the plight of Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend. His testicles became swollen. There's some unbiased news from the America. You're not gonna blame this on President Trump on my show. That's not happening. And yeah, there's a compulsory mention of submarines. This is the 9pm offensively named Dispatches from Prison Island Megamix. I'd have actually said lady problems, not lady problems, but there you go. President Moon Jae-in on Tuesday gave official appointment certificates to South Korean boy band BTS, whom he recently named special envoys for future generations and culture. BTS will start their official activities as special envoys by taking part in the upcoming UN General Assembly next week. The group will be giving an address at an event called Sustainable Development Goals Moment on the theme of overcoming COVID-19. The Blue House said that in private talks after today's ceremony, Moon said K-pop has enhanced South Korea's dignity and noted that it's become easier to start diplomacy by talking about BTS. The group's leader, RM, on behalf of the band, said the special envoy title is an honor and that BTS wanted an opportunity to give back the love they received. Ah, yes. Congratulations to Bangtan Sun Yodan, also known as the Bangtan Boys, the Bulletproof Boy Scouts, various other names. Uh, let's give back some love to BTS uh, right now uh, with the aid of this, uh, well, this, really. Clank, clank. There we go. So, uh, cheers to BTS and uh, envoys for the future generations. It's a fantastic thing, isn't it? International relations uh, is a complex business, of course. Uh, so much to talk about the last couple of weeks. I, I won't really talk about the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the war in Afghanistan or the 70, uh, 70th anniversary of the ANZUS Treaty uh, because I think quite a lot has been uh, said about that already. But international relations is, uh, well, it's all about perceptions as well, isn't it? Not just the practicalities. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a piece in The Atlantic uh, looking at Australia's COVID-19 lockdowns and the, the headline just said, Australia traded away too much liberty. Not as a question, mind you, just as a statement. And then uh, the deck said, how long can a democracy maintain emergency restrictions and still call itself a free country? The author is uh, Connor Friedestorf. And, uh, of course, there's links to all these things on the podcast website. There always are, aren't there? Uh, he, he wrote... Austra amongst other things, Australia is undoubtedly a democracy with multiple political parties, regular elections and the peaceful transfer of power. But if a country indefinitely forbids its own citizens from leaving its borders, strands tens of thousands of its citizens abroad, puts strict rules on intrastate travel, by, by which, well, they have, haven't they, intrastate, 
can't I can't go to regional New South Wales, for example. Uh, Strands tends uh, did that bit prohibits citizens from leaving home without an excuse from an official government list, mandates masks even when people are outdoors and socially distanced, deploys the military to enforce those rules, I'll come back to that, bans protest, I'll come back to that, and arrests and fines dissenters. (laughs) Is that country still a liberal democracy? Now, a lot of people on Twitter kicked off about this, uh, but I I reread it today. It's not as loopy as some of the other stuff. For example, uh, take for example, uh, well that that chap who I will refer to today as Floppy Jizzwobble. This is a new discovery that the Liberals are turning this country into, and we really need graphics to emphasize this point. A uh, <coughs> police state. There you go. Yeah, there you go. What? Overproduced wankery. And look, you know, Flobby Jizzwobble, you know who I'm talking about, that extremely punchable asshat who is being sued for defamation by uh, New South Wales Deputy uh, Premier John thingy, whatever. Extremely punchable young man. But I did play that grab simply because that, clip as of today has more than 320,000 views. He's got an audience. That's just on YouTube alone. Now I, as you, uh, as regular listeners will know, tend to resist this kind of hyperbolic language of police state simply because here we are, like we're talking about it being a police state and no one is, is shooting us in the head. Um, but it's interesting to see how Australia's actions are being portrayed internationally. Now, I've linked uh, item four on the webpage uh, to a screenshot that's been doing the rounds um, in various places. with A longish text, but the headline is, Australians, thanks for... Well, this is what the commenter said. Australians, thanks for giving up your guns and showing the United States what happens. Not that we didn't know, but it's a good reminder. So you can see where this is coming from, the the US right. It's all about, you know, if we had guns, this wouldn't happen. It reads, Australia has turned into a draconian police state, as opposed to the other kind, I suppose. Here's some highlights of the insane things happening there. Not to you know, prejudge. There are quarantine camps being built. Yeah, places for people to quarantine. Um, you know, we, we do have concentration camps, and it's a bit it's a bit much for America to kind of call out others for building camps, but here we go. They deployed the army to patrol the streets to lock people inside their homes. A little bit hyperbolic, isn't it? Uh, There are some um, soldiers out there. They're not armed. They're accompanying the police just to really make up numbers, providing a bit of, you know, extra logistical support, that sort of thing. Because you don't need everyone knocking on someone's door to just check that people are home to be cops. Unarmed civilians shot with rubber bullets for protesting the government. Children tear-gassed by police for, for being in the protests. Okay, so here is America 
criticising Australia for, for, for using rubber bullets, um, <laughs> where America uh, just goes for it. And children were tear-gassed for being in the protests. You know, that not it's not how... Yeah, anyway, citizens to be forced to download an app with facial recognition and location tracking, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if you are choosing to quarantine at home rather than in one of the facilities. Yeah, and there's certainly some controversy about that. Uh, and, and it goes on. It, it turns in emergency powers to break into any land building or vehicle with any force necessary, blah, 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 force people to get... These are pretty standard um, kind of powers given during states of emergency. Now, all right, you can argue about whether or not we're at that point, but there is nothing particularly unusual about states of emergency granting all sorts of ad hoc powers. The one I like, impending rollout of full-blown social credit system to crack down on bad behaviour online. I have no idea where the fuck that comes from. But this is the kind of stuff that's circulating online as part of this Australia is a draconian police state, brackets, as opposed to the other kinds. And guns. And that makes us communist, apparently because that's the only insult these people have. Uh, look, some of this is deliberate misinformation, of course. Some is just stupidity with journalists parroting what they've heard elsewhere without checking the facts. And then, of course, it it being generalised. So you know, s- certain things done in, in a certain small area suddenly are all over the country. And we're partly to blame for that. I mean, take, for example, today, as uh, as uh, both New South Wales and Victoria have been announcing changes to their lockdown rules, there's been people whinging, but the national plan said... Uh, and so, no, the national plan probably didn't say that. Have you actually read it? And the national plan actually... Well, it actually says, you know, it can be changed at any time anyway. And... and it's, they're just complaining. It, it, their imagination of what's in the national plan doesn't match with what's happening. Back in uh, 2002, uh, Michael Crichton, you may remember him from writing such things as Jurassic Park, he coined the term the, the Gell-Mann or Gell-Mann. I think it's Gell-Mann amnesia effect after the physicist uh, Murray Gell-Mann. And... This is a phenomenon he'd observed in the news that, and I'll summarise it. This is my summary of it. I've, I've linked, of course, to, to, to his words. But when you open a newspaper or, or, you know, these days online or on the news or whatever, and the story is on a subject you know well, you read the article and you see that the journalist has, like, no understanding either of the facts or the issues and, and often the article is so wrong it presents the whole thing backwards, right? Uh, I, I mean, we see that all the time. But then in the same news outlets, which we trust, we, we assume they're right about other things. So, you know, you, you might be in the case of Murray Gilman, a physicist, 
And you go, well, he's got all that physics wrong. That's not how stars form. That's not Newton's law, whatever. But now I'll read what they have to say about Palestine. And surely that has the same chance of being complete garbage as well. But you've turned the page. You forget what you knew about their physics coverage. And now we'll take the the Palestine coverage as read. There's some sort of amnesia happening there, and that's the Murray-Gilman amnesia effect. I think the lesson to take away from this is that the vast majority of people reporting the news have no fucking idea what they're talking about, including me. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. The other night I dreamed I had a friend who was a duck. Just an ordinary-looking Pacific black duck, which you can see anywhere around Australia. And this duck had a hobby, which was recreating scenes from famous movies. For example, um, you know those white enamelled rectangular trays? You might see them in old films for holding surgical instruments or that sort of thing, sometimes used as food-serving trays. Anyway, this duck recreated Jennifer Beale's performance from Flashdance by lining up some of those enamelled trays on the lawn, filling them with water, and he kind of splashed from one to, to the other to the next one in this kind of joyful, exuberant dance. And there was another one. He recreated a scene from an action movie where where he rode a zip line between the Patronus Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur, uh, except he recreated that at Regent's Park Railway Station in Sydney uh, from the road bridge down to the platform. Now, I, in my head, thought this was one of the diehard films, but no, it's in fact Entrapment, the 1999 film starring Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Anyway, after he'd gone down that zip line, uh, the duck got into the train where I was there, I was on the train, and I introduced him there to Bjorn Ulveus from ABBA because he and I were working together on a project. We were writing a book titled ABBA in Australia. Now, ABBA the movie from 1977 is about the Australian tour of that year, but this book we were intending to gaslight people with completely false stories about that famous tour. And, like, as soon as the duck heard about it, he he was in. He was up for this. The problem, though, is that there was a consulting producer on this project, a guy who was a radio DJ from the time of the tour. Now, I think that's probably Bob Francis, the Adelaide um, radio presenter. He's still on air. Years later, he was very much the pop music presenter of the, the, the era, although it wasn't really clear in the dream. What was clear, it, he didn't understand the concept. Like, we were, were, were sort of riffing on ideas, and he kept saying, no, but that, that never happened. And we get, which is kind of the whole point of this film. But anyway, we, we argued constantly. Now, most of these arguments took place in the front bar of a pub uh at a town called Cape Pinniped, which 
as far as I know, is not an actual place. Uh, and this this DJ insisted that pinniped meant hairy-footed and therefore rabbits. And and apparently Cape Pinniped was supposedly where rabbits were first introduced to Australia. Uh, now, these constant arguments, uh, they decided, could only be resolved by ejecting me from the project. So someone called Cody, I don't know who Cody was, he handed me all my clothes, neatly folded, because for some reason I was now naked at this pub, and from this little pile of clothes I took some tan jeans, how embarrassing, from the top of the stack, and I stepped out of the limousine, because now I was in a limousine and not the pub. And I put the the tan jeans on, and then a black inflatable dinghy like a little you know, black inflatable boat washed up on the beach and it was empty. And Cody said, oh, good, the Christmas present has finally arrived. And that's the end of the dream. For the record, uh, pinniped means fin or flipper-footed. It refers to seals, sea lions, walruses, that sort of thing. Um. Just quietly, I imagine I, I have had an argument with Bob Francis at some point over the years. He, he was a radio presenter in Adelaide when I worked at the ABC there. Uh, I think he was also at the Boy George press conference that I was at. Yes, he was indeed. Anyway, these days he's, he's just turned into an old reactionary cunt, but you know, that happens. Um, I don't think we ever argued about rabbits. Anyway, that is this episode's dream sequence. Do, do, do. Need a need a theme for it, don't I? Well, good morning from Australia. By dawn's early light, a coordinated, dramatic, strategic strike. A new enhanced trilateral security partnership between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Leaders across three continents. I want to thank. Uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. Unveiling the biggest shift in this country's defence posture in decades. Australia is one of our oldest friends, a kindred nation, and a fellow democracy and a natural partner. And one that's been invited to join an exclusive nuclear club. The first major initiative of AUKUS will be to deliver a nuclear-powered submarine fleet for Australia. A top-secret submarine plan 18 months in the making, driven by fears of a rapidly growing military power in this region. I wonder, wonder who they mean. Look, obviously, I'm very interested in submarines. I'm interested in international relations and military technology and so on. And I'm interested in how this newly branded uh, relationship, AUKUS, A-U-K-U-S, Australia, U-K-U-S, is going to work. But I'm only going to talk about it very briefly this time because I've decided that the next episode of this pod will be all about that and I'll get a hold of some people who actually know the fuck what they're talking about, um, which might be a nice idea, eh? So that's next. Um, but I, I will mention just a few little uh, ideas that I've had. One is that the people who go, Australia doesn't need submarines are essentially the anti-vaxxers of the ocean um, who don't actually understand what submarines do. 
uh, and how vital they are to national security in the 21st century. Uh, also, the people who go, oh, well, the submarines are all going to be obsolete in 10 years because of drones or some and robots and shit. I think, well, where, what's going to launch the robots? You know, there are missions that require human inter- Anyway, look, we'll do all that next time. Um, someone on Twitter said, well, and I won't link to these people because really just to protect them because they're clearly a bit, a bit damaged in the head and need protection. Someone said, you know, can someone explain to me, oh, can someone explain to me when anyone starts a tweet with that, you know they don't actually want anyone to explain it to them. They don't want to be shown why they're wrong. They're, they're just saying, well, I don't... Oh, cunts. Can someone explain to me why China would go to war with Australia? In what scenario would this be necessary or make sense? Which, which kind of supposes that China's relationship to Australia lives in a vacuum, ignores the fact that Australia is allied with certain people, ignores... Uh, anyway, we'll come back to that next time. And then someone else, someone who I think ought to know better, said, well, what happens, uh, you know, if we, if we don't get the nuclear submarines, because people are saying we should get the diesel electrics, are saying, well, what good are our diesel electric submarines going to be in 10 years' time when diesel fuel is banned and we haven't got our atomic submarines yet? And I said, A, how will diesel be banned? B, yes, there is talk of requiring new vehicles on roads to be electric or something uh, and, and not fossil fuels. But C, submarines, mostly, are not road vehicles. And D, the military gets all manner of exemptions from normal stuff. For example, I am not allowed to own explosives but the military does. I am not allowed to have a gun. The military does. I am not allowed to kill people, broadly speaking. The military, in certain circumstances, can because that's what armed conflict ends up being about. God, these people are thick. I will mention a tweet by uh, Formalhout451, a fantastic Twitter handle, Former out as in the star, 451 as in, well, if you don't know what 451 is, then why are you even listing? They say this must be the first time in 36 years that New Zealand and France have been on the same side in an international argument about sinking boats. Ooh. I assume you know what that's all about. Look up Rainbow Warrior. Oh, I'm not going to link to that. You can type out the words yourself. The AUKUS thing, the AUKUS thing I like. And people are making all sorts of joke about how the other way around it could be rude or whatever. I just want to mention that AUKUS, O-R-C-U-S, was a god of the underworld, punisher of broken oaths in Italic and Roman mythology, uh, and also the name then often applied to the underworld itself. Two things about that. One is the idea that after screwing France over by reneging on a deal to buy submarines from them, our new relationship is named after the god who is the punisher of broken oaths. And secondly, 
uh, AUKUS, if you follow it through, um, becomes linguistically the French word ogre and Italian orco and eventually would with a back formation by by J.R.R. Tolkien, the orcs from the Middle Earth. I mean, it's not important. It doesn't change anything, but I just thought uh, you might find it interesting. I'm about to do the housekeeping, okay, but... Before I do so, I I just wanted to mention someone else's fundraising efforts, and that's uh, Mike Lindell, uh, Mr. Pillow Guy in the United States, Trump supporter, former crack addict, uh, now very much a conspiracy theorist. He spent three days recently on Jim Baker's uh, infomercial channel. Jim Baker, the... um, well, the uh, evangelical Christian chap who has uh, been convicted of fraud in the past, uh, they they had a three-day telethon to raise money for, for, well, to support their efforts to, quote, take back what the devil stole from you. And uh, in their little panel of people, they, they had this... You know, typical talk over each other thing on American uh, talk TV, uh, saying how we don't allow the enemy to come in. We don't. We don't allow the yes. enemy to come in. We have to take. And that's what you're that telling us to do, and that's what you're doing. Yeah, we're going to take it. back what Thank was stolen Lord. from us. Yeah, America needs America. to take back. Well, they stole our country. Yeah, yeah. we got to take mean, it back. <laughs> we're taking it back. You know, yeah. Yeah. And they they stole it at lower levels, micro levels, and right. macro yeah. levels. They yeah. stole but it at all. Places. Our time's going away. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what I believe? I believe if everybody would order a set of pillows, we could do a million dollars. Yes, amen. Just in pillows. Amen. Yeah. Just in this pillow. Yep. And that would be a great start. So, yeah, these pillows, they are children's Bible pillows. They come in a five-pack, and the pillowcases uh, have stories from the Bible on them. On one side, uh, the story imagery in this kind of sort of Disney-esque but bad kitty illustration style. And on the other side, the Bible story itself, though not, of course, as written in the Bible itself, but others. So there's five, five in a bundle, the creation, Daniel and the lion's den, which I'm, I've never been quite sure about what that teaches us, Jonah and the whale, Again, I'm a bit confused. Noah's Ark and the story of baby Jesus, which, of course, is just a a nativity scene. Um, They never really get into what that bloke Jesus might have been on about. Anyway, uh, five pillows, 12 inches by 18 inches, set of five, 100 US dollars. Uh-huh. And... You go to the website, lindelloutreach.com. It, it doesn't really explain anything. It's just the merch. 
And you've got to remember, as uh, Boing Boing reminds us, uh, Lindell is currently uh, being sued by Dominion Voting Systems in a defamation lawsuit because Lindell says, you know, the election is rigged and he's one of those people. Uh, so Dominion is suing him for $1.3 billion. Uh, and Jim Baker... Uh, he was, uh, in 1989, sentenced to 45 years in prison after being convicted on 24 counts of stealing $158 million from his followers. He only served uh, five of those uh, years. Uh, and recently, uh, he was flogging a fake COVID cure on his uh, infomercial channel and he had to pay $156,000 in restitution for that. Which brings me to the question of what merch would you like me to put on the sale? I mean, I I could do uh, children's Bible pillows somehow. I, I mean, I'm not a Christian, so that would possibly be unethical because... <laughs> The one I've just described is totally ethical all the way down, isn't it? No, seriously, what merch would you like? Um, I mean, I can get some designs up. Uh, I can put slogans on. I could go back through uh, my ancient tweets looking for some of my less motivational comments. A book of my little daily aphorisms. I don't know. Um, tell me, what merch would you like? At the moment, though, of course, uh, you can still support this podcast uh, financially through the methods I tell you about every fucking week, but I'm going to tell you about them again. You can uh, send me a tip at the 9pmedict.com slash tip. If you click through, you can subscribe, which basically means just making a regular tip, but you get some minor benefits for that. Go and read all about it. Thank you, especially this episode to David Bruce, whose edict level four triple shot annual subscription renewed the other day. They always come as a lovely surprise because I'm really bad at keeping track of the annuals and they, they just arrive as a lump of money. And I think, fantastic. Keep doing that. Thank you, David Bruce. Uh, and the ever generous Simon Harris once more. Thank you to both of you. As I say, go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip to do all those things. Uh, and if you can't or don't want to, you don't have to. You are your own master or mistress. That sounds wrong. Um, you're in charge of your own life. But if you like the podcast, please tell your friends. Suggest they listen to it. Um because the more audience means there's more people who might be likely to support it and numbers help and all that. So, I mean, that means I have to say do the things all the podcast hopes tell you, like, subscribe, blah, 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 bullshit, yeah. But just, just do it. Thank you very much. Uh, that's... Um the glass jar of transparency full of little folded up pieces of paper and they contain trigger words because uh, people who uh, uh, contribute to this podcast over a certain level uh, can suggest trigger words or suggest that I choose random ones or whatever and we throw them into the conversation. Um, I'll do one today, see where we go. I do not know what this is going to be. Unfold, unfold, unfold. Ah, 
<laughs> this is from longtime supporter of the pod, friend of the pod, Justin Warren. And Justin has, of course, chosen the word hexagons. Hexagons are a fascination of Justin's. Uh, go and check out his uh, uh, his uh, Red Bubble shop. I'll put a link to that in the pod uh, webpage. Um, hexagons, of course, do tessellate perfectly, uh, which is why bees make them. One of the things which intrigues me is why they have become the symbol of the cybers. I mean, we used to have, and and you still see the whole graphic from the movie The Matrix, the Japanese text flowing down the screen like tears in rain. Ooh, cross-references. Um, but there's nothing particularly hexagonal about cybers. In fact, they're binary. I, I mean, everything goes in powers of two, which doesn't fit with hexagons at all. The first image that came into my mind, though, when I saw this word hexagons uh, written down, was the spacecraft, or rather the suborbital uh, craft spindrift from the the Irwin Allen TV series Land of the Giants because, uh, again, I'll link to all these things. I don't know why I keep telling you this, but it's got a hexagonal grill over what I assume are meant to to be the air intakes to its engine at the, the rear part of its fuselage. Now that I look at the front part of it, it's got the same kind of shaped windows almost as the flying submarine from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which is also uh, an Irwin Allen production, like the original Lost in Space, a uh, whole lot of stuff there. So I think at that period it's it's meant to, to kind of indicate the future or something. The semiotics of hexagons amaze me. The thing that really blows me away, though, is that on Saturn the planet, there is a hexagon. There is a persistent cloud pattern around the North Pole of Saturn, which is hexagonal in shape. And each side of the hexagon is what's that, about 14,500 kilometres. Now, that is a solid hexagon. And I commend this hexagon to you. I have to get someone on to talk about the hexagons of Saturn. Thank you. Thank you, Justin Warren. I'll do a second one because that worked quite well, I think. That was just randomly what hexagonal things were in my head. I bet neurons have hexagons or some sort of hexagonal relationship to them. Um, and if you get the book... Uh, Patterns of Cities, let me just check this, by A.J. Rose. I think that's it. This is, yes, Patterns of Cities by A.J. Rose. It's from the 60s. It's, it's a book that influenced me a lot at school about urban geography, which is something that really fascinated me when I was a kid and, and was one of the, the driving forces which almost led me to become a cartographer. Um, 
it shows that as settlements grow, everything being equal, if the land's flat, resources flat, whatever, you get a hexagonal distribution of villages, which then grow into cities. And it's the same kind of thing which drives the growth of snowflakes, which are hexagonal. Hexagons. Pretty good. Ah, look, here's um, here's a second one from uh, Paul Williams, again, a supporter of the pod. Thank you very much. Uh, his trigger word is procrastination. But I'll, I'll deal with that one next episode. Uh, that was an obvious gag, wasn't it? But Paul Williams, um, look, I will do this next episode because I have some some thoughts about procrastination, but they are ill-formed, and I would like to give you value for money for your trigger word. So uh, no matter what happens, uh, oh, no, because we're doing submarines next time, and and the thing I'll, episode after that I will do a thing on procrastination and I've put that there as a reminder. Thank you very much. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. <coughs> Elephant stamp time. Uh, many episodes of this podcast. I should get it back to being every episode, but many episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And uh, this episode, I have one, two, three of them. And the first one goes to the Royal Navy of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Uh, Let me explain why. Actually, let this report from the YouTube channel Military of USA explain why. Royal Navy aircraft carriers make history on simultaneous F-35B Lightning jet operations. The Royal Navy currently has two aircraft carriers at sea, both flying F-35 jets. This is something that only one other navy in the world is capable of. Separated by 7,000 miles, HMS Prince of Wales in the North Sea and HMS Queen Elizabeth in the Pacific have been launching and recovering the stealth strike fighter on round-the-clock sorties. The Royal Navy says here that until now, the ships have embarked on the fifth-generation jets, but never have the 265,000-ton behemoths launched the fighters from their flight decks at the same time. Yes, they're making history, and uh, a newspaper called the Portsmouth News agrees, quoting the first sea lord. God, I love how it's not just the head of the Navy, the first sea lord. Uh, Admiral Satoni Radican, he said, this is an extraordinary achievement for the royal... Oh, he's not Australian. I won't do the accent. This is an extraordinary achievement for the Royal Navy and represents the true global reach we have in this current era. It demonstrates the enduring strength of our alliances and partnerships and is the result of decades of work and dedication to achieve this feat with the Queen Elizabeth-class carriers. Okay, so in this current era, he could have just left that out, the true global reach we have, or just said today. The, and, and, oh, 
so so the history they're talking about is that they've got two aircraft carriers of this new class and both of them were able to work at the same time. So it's not really history. You know, Britain has in the past had substantially more than two aircraft carriers and they worked at the same time. But no, it's just the history of these two. It's a pretty lame claim to history, but there you go. One of them's in the Pacific harassing a large East Asian nation um, and flying on F-35s from the US Marines, all of that. Elephant stamp number one to the Royal Navy. Elephant stamp number two goes to the British government more generally. And, I mean, let's be right, there's there's some excellent thinking happening in the, uh, the British government these days. But in particular, this goes to Companies House, which is the organisation that, like, registers companies, funnily enough. Uh, over the past two years, more than 800 company names were rejected uh, because they were deemed potentially offensive. And we're not talking about, you know, fucking cunts limited or something like that. You know, fanny deep dive, whatever. Here are some of the company names that were rejected. Building that Fort Hitler limited. Cambridge Cannabis Club limited. Uh, fit as a fork limited. Really? So fit as fork. Whatever. Other rejected names. Just weed. Meow Meow Cooking Studio. What? Ah, oh, Cooking a Cat. Ah, oh, ha, ha, ha. Pandemic 19 Limited. I quite like that one. Pervert Cat Limited. Shit Creek Paddle Company. See, that's funny. And The Great Big Corrupt Company, which I think is excellent. Um... The BBC got hold of this list from a Freedom of Information request. I tried to get hold of the list too, but it turns out that the last Freedom of Information result published at Companies House is two years ago, May 2019. So they're two years behind in posting uh, their list. I want to see what some of the rest were. Um, So, I don't know. Elephant stamp to the British government for being a bunch of fucking killjoys. And elephant stamp number three goes to a Newsmax host, Grant Stinchfield. But before we get to him, let me just explain uh, a guy called Joe Sabo, S-A-B-O-E, Saboe, Sabo. Anyway, he founded an organisation which has the unfortunate name Team America, um, but it's actually... Uh, a helpline for Afghans trying to get out of Kabul after the, you know, the the recent difficulties there. Uh, Mr. Sabo was deployed to Iraq as a soldier years ago. Uh, he now runs a small startup. He's also a youth soccer coach. This uh, is from a New York Times article, which which I suppose goes to uh, portraying him as a, a nice guy. Uh, but he's also become the unofficial commander of an impromptu network of veterans and citizen volunteers to get American citizens and Afghan allies out of Kabul uh, before the American airlift ended, which I think it kind of has. But whatever, he's got about 200 volunteers, Team America. It's one of several grassroots efforts to, to, to deal with this problem. Okay, check out the New York Times piece. Not a bad profile, but... 
this guy, Grant Stinchfield on Newsmax, uh, basically, well, well, you'll you'll hear what happened when he was uh, interviewing Joe Sabo. I, I can tell you this this didn't happen under President Trump, and I know there's a lot of people on the left that want to try to blame President Trump. He wanted out of Afghanistan real bad. He was real frustrated not being able to get out, but he didn't pull out because he knew this would happen. In fact, we all did. I called it on this program. My 12-year-old son knew about it, and so um, I've got Americans there that are stuck. To me, that's a hostage situation. But, Joe, I appreciate yeah. you working to get them out. I really do, yeah. and I wish you with all due, luck in the with world due respect, Thank you for uh, With due respect, Grant, I mean, like, veterans, you know, uh, being one, right, and our friends are over there. Um, right. We followed this closely from multiple administrations, and... We know the Trump's administration's efforts here were fairly weak, that yeah. they were trying to limit the number of people that would get out. And Joe, so there was coordination problems. Joe, I'm going to cut time. you. I, I'm already, uh, I'm already weak. Well, I'm already low on this. time, Joe. Joe, I'm, cut him off, please. please. Cut him off now. Cut him off now. You're not going to blame this on President Trump on my show. That's not happening. Now, I appreciate the work that you're doing. God bless you for being a veteran. God bless you for trying to get Americans out. But don't come on this program and take the talking points of the left and blame President Trump. That's not helping anybody. The Biden administration screwed this up from the very start. You know it. I know it. The country knows it. And to call them not hostages, I don't know how you don't call them hostages. They're stuck in Afghanistan with a country overrun with terrorists that are willing to kill them all. I'm mad about that, man. I really am. All right. We're going to slow it down because we've got a real hero coming up. That man's a real hero, too. He served. Oh, yeah. But, uh, whoops. You know, oh, he served. He's a hero. Um, I did not imply that he's not a hero because he served, and that fits our mythology. Um, what amazes me about that is that um, this guy, Grant Stinchfield, he detected immediately that there was some sort of criticism of Trump coming up, and boom! Off he goes. So, yeah, this guy, Grant Stinchfield, he is, of course, on Newsmax TV, one of the far-right uh, channels in the US these days. Uh, to read his uh, bio on their website, Grant has made it his mission to expose liberal lunacy and the ills of socialism. Our American way of life is under attack. It is our job to defend it. He's got a daily show. Uh, apparently, he's won four Emmys for investigative reporting. He provides a unique insight into media bias. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He has an unsuccessful bid for Congress. Uh, he had an afternoon talk show on a conservative radio station in Dallas. Uh, he also helped the NRA launch NRA TV, where he hosted a firearms version of his program. He is a firearms enthusiast, you'd be surprised to hear. Uh, he's been around firearms since he was a child. Being around firearms. Whether it was trap shooting with his father or running a tactical course with law enforcement, his love of guns and personal defence is often a common theme on his program. He currently runs a long-haul trucking company in Dallas, Texas. Grant Stinchfield, ladies and gentlemen, a recipient of our third and final elephant stamp for this episode. 
A music uh, star and personality, Nicki Minaj, of course, was uh, in the news this week in in a strange way uh, because of uh, one of her tweets. Now, I could read you her tweet, but I think it would be even better if the tweet was read to you by Fox News's Tucker Carlson. She added this. She said that her cousin in Trinidad, quote, won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now that girl called off the wedding. So just pray on it and make sure you're comfortable with your decision, not bullied. Which seems sensible. Big reaction to this. We'll report on that tomorrow. Yeah, well, I can report on some of it today. Look, your testicles will not suddenly enlarge due to a COVID-19 vaccine. I think Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend uh, has another kind of problem uh, down in the the undercarriage. Um, It didn't take long, of course, for this to be uh, debunked. Here is a message from the Health Minister of Trinidad and Tobago, Dr Terence Dalesing. 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 I don't know. One of the reasons we could not respond yesterday in real time to Miss Minaj is that we had to check and make sure that what she was claiming was either true or false. We did, we, and unfortunately we wasted so much time yesterday running down this false claim. It is, as far as we know, at this point in time, there has been no such reported either side effect or adverse event. And what was sad about this is that it wasted our time yesterday trying to track down because we take all these claims seriously, whether it's on social media or mainstream media. As we stand now, there is absolutely no reported such side effect or adverse event of testicular swelling in Trinidad, or I dare say, Dr. Hines, anywhere else? None that we know of anywhere else in the world. Speaking of medical problems in the downstairs parts, one of my favourite podcasts is Drunk Women Solving Crime. Now, I know that the true crime podcast genre is utterly utterly oversaturated and I know that there are far too many of these podcasts which consist of two people one of whom reads the description of a crime from Wikipedia or somewhere else and the other of whom just reacts with oh gosh and how terrible and all of that this is this is a bit different three women all comedians well uh, writer and comedian um, Hannah George from Australia, Katie Wilkins from the UK, and Taylor Glenn originally from the United States. One of them will have chosen a crime and reads bits of it and then asks questions, you know, what do you think happened next? When do you think this was? So did this happen or not? And they try and predict what this, how the story is going to progress. They have two um, extra little twists to it. One is they have another 
person on as a guest, so it's four women. Uh, and the second one is they are all drinking heavily. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's it's pretty messy. I love it because it, it's the fact that they are all very smart women who are very funny to begin with and and they're drunk. So that's a good bit of it. Oh, I will say too, um, uh, it is all female, which is fantastic, except um, during the month when International uh, Men's Day is, November, and they invite male guests on then as a kind of sop to male egos. And they sometimes do these uh, recorded live in front of a live audience. And, and look, I, that's a very long preamble, sorry. But I just wanted to say that... This opening gag from one of their recent recording sessions will give you a, a taste, if that's not completely the wrong word to use. Are we having a drink tonight? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, I'm on the cranberry juice, but don't worry, that is full of gin. I was going to say, can anyone guess what's wrong with Hannah? <laughs> We have a predominantly female audience. <laughs> you may know I've got a touch of the old cystitis, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Again, apparently you get cystitis by not going for a wee straight after sex, but I, for one, I'm a little bit too classy to go for a wee in an alleyway. <laughs> Thank you. That, of course, is a joke. I would literally piss anywhere. So. Uh, well, yes, taste uh, was definitely the wrong word for me to use. Sorry about that. That is Drunk Women Solving Crime. Do check it out. Uh, and I think um, from now on, I will each episode include a recommendation uh, for a podcast to listen to, um, sometimes comedy, sometimes serious. We'll see how it goes. But that one, yes, drunk women solving crime. Um, yes. Now, look, to, to, to wrap this episode, I have something very, very special for you. Do you remember on the 6th of January when there was that kerfuffle in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol building. Um, well, the attempted coup, let's call it what it was, uh, the half-assed attempted coup. And do you remember that there was a chap, a Mr Chansley, who dressed himself up with buffalo horns and and in this, well, really a parody, although he thought he was being deadly serious of certain Indigenous um, practices. So it turns out his mother, Martha Angeli Chansley, who was the one saying, oh, no, he can't be in jail because he needs his gluten-free vegan food and all of that. Okay, I should send it up. It's actually important to have the kind of food that is appropriate for their their needs. But his mother has joined forces with someone called Jim Whitaker and and recorded a song called Make America Great. So obviously we need to listen to it together right now. America, home of the free and the brave, 
where there's liberty and justice for all. Hold on to your freedom so bravely fought with blood, sweat, and tears. Keep America, make America great again. God bless the USA, keep her safe, surround her with your light from above, protect her the mountains, sea and shores, keep America Make America great again. Americans stand together, stand strong. From the north, the south, the east, and west. the brave, where there's liberty and justice for all. Hold on to your freedom, so bravely fought with blood, sweat, and tears. Keep America, make America great again. Hold on to your freedom so bravely fought with blood, sweat, and tears. Keep America. Make America Again. That's all the edict for now. Uh, please, yes, do all the things you know that you have to do to support the pod. Tell your friends. Go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip and empty your wallet. The next episode will be about submarines and the AUKUS agreement thing. Until then, I'm still Gerian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.